Well, good morning. It's all about contentment this morning, and uh, it's an elusive quality in our culture today, isn't it? Uh, We get bombarded every day to be less content, to have more, to want more. We're talking about entitlement and people's rights all the time. And this morning, I want to just hopefully encourage you in the area of contentment, because as hope dealers, that's what we're supposed to be as some people who are contented. I want to give you a definition of contentment this morning. It means this. It's an inner sense of rest and peace, no matter what the circumstances. An inner sense of rest and peace, no matter what the circumstances. This morning, the big idea is this. Contentment in life is a learned process. It's a constant battle, isn't it? We're always trying to learn contentment. It's a challenge to us every day. You know, every one of us are challenged every day to think about the grass is greener on the other side. Many of us forget sometimes how blessed we really are. There's a great story about a mom, and I'll read you this, who found contentment with very little. There were four brothers left, who left home for college and became very successful doctors and lawyers. And then some years later, they chatted after having dinner together, and they discussed the gifts they were able to give their elderly mother who lived far away in another city. The first said, you know, I had, a big ho- I had a big house built for mama. The second said, you know, I had a $100,000 theater built in the house. The third said, I had my Mercedes dealer deliver an SL600 tour. The fourth said, you know how mama loved reading the Bible? And you know she can't read anymore because she can't see very well. I met this preacher who told me about a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took 20 preachers 12 years to teach him. I had to pledge to contribute $100,000 a year for 20 years to the church, but it was worth it. Mama just had to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot would recite it. The other brothers are really impressed. Shortly afterwards, their mother sent out a thank you note. She wrote, Milton, the house you built is so huge, I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. Thanks anyways. Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I have my groceries delivered, so I never use the Mercedes. The thought was good, though. Thanks. Michael, you gave me an expensive theater with Dolby sound. It could hold 50 people, but all my friends are dead. I've lost my hearing and I'm nearly blind. I'll never use it. Thank you for the gesture just the same. Dearest Melvin, you were the only son to have the good sense to give a little thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. Thank you. (laughs) We don't find too many people in our culture today that are satisfied with less. But we're going to look at a scripture this morning. We're going to close out this series on Hope Dealers and Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I want to give you the key verse this morning and the memory verse for you to think about this week. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It's a learned process. Let's go to the scriptures this morning and let's look at the entire context because oftentimes when we see this scripture, uh, we quote a couple of verses in there that we quote a lot if you've been around the church and been around the Bible a lot. But I want you to see it all in context this morning and hopefully it'll shed some new light on what it means to be content. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. You'll notice that Paul's writing a thank you note here. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every 
and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He closes with a greeting some of his friends. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul writes this thank you note to the Philippian church because they were really a special church in his life who had really been involved in his ministry directly and he loved them so much and he wanted to close out this letter by telling them thank you. But in the process, I see some principles here that we can glean about how it is to be able to learn to be more content. So I want to start with the first concept in this, and it's this. Contentment comes by having a grateful heart. You've been challenged over the past couple of weeks by Pastor Scott to exercise your gratitude muscle. And it's really a powerful thing to do to be able to thank God every day for certain things. In verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. He's thanking them intentionally because of what a blessing they've been in his life, especially in the area of giving. You know, It's tough sometimes for us to find contentment, and it is a choice that we have to make some days. I remember back in early January of this year, I had been struggling with vertigo, and it was really nasty. In fact, I was preaching through that, and there was periods at times where I'd have those dizzy spots right in the middle of my sermons when I was preaching to you. You probably didn't know it, but it was driving me crazy. And I was so frustrated with it, and I was complaining to God, and I was complaining to my wife one day. And my dear wife, who is always so sympathetic, said, well, honey, why don't you just stop and thank God for three things? You know, wives just have a way. Have you noticed that? So I said, okay. So we started back in January to exercise our gratitude muscle. Every night before we go to bed, we thank God for three things that God has done in our lives that day. Well, just recently... I was feeling a little bit down, and I wanted to go see a guy that I have just absolutely been one of my heroes over the past year or two, and his name is Jack Butler. You remember Jack? Jack is suffering from ALS, and Jack exercised his gratitude muscle this past week on Facebook, and I wanted to go see Jack and just touch base with him again, and look at what Jack says about his gratitude muscle. He says, first of all, I want to thank the Lord for my wife, Peggy. And then this one really stuck me, stuck with me. I thank God for the two fingers on my left hand that still work to be able to click a mouse. Think about that for a minute. I can get up and walk every morning. I can go on the computer anytime I want to. 
I can feed myself. I can go to the bathroom myself. And here's a man who is bound to a bed who is thanking the Lord for two fingers that he can still move the mouse. And you know what's even more powerful? That the Lord can still use me. You know, I went to see Jack because I wanted to minister to him and encourage him. You know what he did before I left? Jack prayed for me. I left in tears because God is still using Jack. Are you grateful to the Lord this morning that God can still use you? Gratefulness is a part of contentment. And we're constantly being told during this month to be grateful, but it's a daily process and it's an intentional process. And I challenge all of us to continue to exercise our gratitude muscles, just like our friend Jack does as well, even in his situation. But secondly, I see in this particular passage is that contentment can be learned from caring relationships. Look at verse 14. Paul says this, it was good for you to share in my troubles. See, what what brought contentment to Paul, even in prison, was the fact that he knew that there were people back there in Philippi who were praying and sending gifts to him. And so he was so blessed to know that there was somebody who had his back, even though he was in prison. It's so critical for us to have relationships in our lives that we know are there for us when we're in the midst of our own struggles and frustration and we're ready to whine and complain to know that there's somebody there that has our back. I had the opportunity to meet an inmate last week. I met face to face with him who was in suicide watch and who was in the infirmary because he had committed a horrible uh, crime He had killed his wife and I spent some hour with him and we prayed together and we talked and I remember him breaking down and crying and he gave me a hug before he left because I was the one person at that point in his life that cared enough to love him in that particular moment. And it brought greater contentment. In fact, I think it was part of the contribution to get him out of suicide watch to where he could cope once again, realizing what he had done, reading scripture, and I discovered that he actually invited Christ into his life. Here was a man in prison who was feeling all alone, hating himself, but having somebody to have his back at that moment really meant a lot to him and brought greater contentment in his life. We need people, folks. We need. We can't be islands. We need to have those folks. And Paul was just saying, look, I've been more content because I know you guys care about me. Thirdly, contentment is learned by experiencing some extremes. In verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. There seems to be here where Paul is saying, look, I I, I know this end of life. I've, I've, I've been where, where it was, where I've been impoverished. I've been in prison. I've been whipped. I've been stoned. I, I have all these things back in my life that have hurt and have been desperate and I've had need. And, but I've also known great blessing and I know great plenty. And it kind of brings this balance of contentment in our lives when we experience both sides. 
I was thinking back just in, in our own lives, just a, a small thing. When we were first married, we, was, I was only 20 and my wife was 19 at the time when we got married and, and we, we had a small home that we were living in and I was still in college and working part-time jobs and Lynn was working and yet it was a real battle. And so we didn't have any furniture and in Illinois back in those days, they had what they called like these junk days and they put all their stuff out on the curb and anybody could kind of go and dive in. And so we went dumpster diving for our furniture. And all of our, our home was furnished with other people's junk. But you know what? Those are great days. Macaroni and cheese three nights a week, you know? I mean, that's the way we lived earlier in our marriage. And we will never, ever forget those days, those early days of, 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 of want, if you will, in some respects. But to know also the blessings of today in our lives and to see how God has provided for us. And having those experiences have really helped bring balance and contentment in our lives. I know that we also tried to take our kids to to Mexico or to other places so that they realize that there are other people who are more impoverished than they are. And they can see that and have those comparisons to be able to find greater contentment and less entitlement in their own lives. So contentment is learned by experiencing some, some extremes. Here's the fourth thing. Contentment is learned through generosity. This is hard for some of us to grasp, but I think this is really a powerful point this morning. Let's look at what Paul writes. He said, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. It was the only church that really helped Paul out financially with his physical needs. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And this is the punchline of this verse. Not that I desire your gifts. He says it's not about desiring your gifts. He said what I desire is that more be credited to your account. That's a powerful statement, I think, of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, because of your generosity, there is a credit to your account. And one of the things that I think is accredited to their account is the matter of contentment. Why do I say that? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, generous people realize they're blessed. Do you realize how blessed we are to live in this country? Even with all the turmoil and crazy stuff that's going on. You know, I picked this up off the internet this week. And there were some studies done. And the government actually has what they would call a profile of what we would call a first world poor person. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. It says, a poor person in America today is defined by the government as a person who has a car, has air conditioning, a refrigerator, a stove, a clothes washer and a dryer, and a microwave. He has two color televisions, cable or satellite TV reception, VCR or DVD player, and a stereo. He is able to obtain medical care. His home is in good repair and is not overcrowded. By his own report, his family's not hungry, and he had sufficient funds in the past year to meet his family's essential needs. That's a first world considered poor person. You want to hear what a third world person is characterized by according to studies. He said, a third world citizen, I'd say, was something like this, has a structurally unsound one-room shack made out of metal or plastic scraps, has a bucket in the corner for hygiene needs, must bathe and drink from public sources within several miles, and typically walks through open sewers and commute, has one light bulb for an entire house and a sheet for his front door. 
He feeds his family with a few bags of flour or rice. He does not have electricity or running water. He is prone to several life-threatening diseases and does not have easy access or funds to obtain medical care. Folks, we're blessed. We are blessed. And I believe that generous people really understand how blessed they really are. There's nothing more greater to realize how blessed we are than we see what people don't have. Amen? There's nothing more blessed how I felt leaving Jack Butler than to realize how blessed I am to be able to walk and talk and go on the computer, etc. We are blessed. Secondly, generous people value what they own. You see, I believe what generous people have is they have a good sense of God's stewardship because they know where everything's come from. They know that the stuff they have, it's not theirs. Whatever we have, God has given to us. And he's given to us on loan so that we are good stewards and we manage it well. And a part of managing it well, he says in scripture, is to invest. And when we do, we invest in the kingdom. And when we invest in the kingdom, we give. And when we give out of generosity, we find greater contentment because we value what God has given to us. I hope that makes sense to you all. See, we really need to realize the stuff we have, it's not our own. It's not our stuff. We need to give it back. And so a part of contentment, I believe, is understanding how much we value what we do have and to take good care of it and to give it back to the kingdom, to build his kingdom. Here's the third thought. Generous people live happier, healthier, and more fulfilled lives. There's been a study done to really see how generous people live their lives. And they found out and discovered that psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, that people who are generous are much happier, healthier people. Here's the fourth reason. Generous people find meaning outside of their possessions. So much of our meaning and identity is wrapped up in what we have. But generous people understand that there's something bigger out there. There's people out there who have needs. And instead of hoarding, they help people. So they find greater meaning in helping people and encouraging others. That's why generous people are more content. It's not about stuff. Here's number five. Generous people have more fulfilling relationships. Have you ever been around a tightwad? Don't you just enjoy hanging out with them? You're always one that's picking up the bill, right? You're picking up the tab. And and you sense that they're sort of selfish and self-serving. Do you like hanging out with people like that? See, I think people who have a, a heart of generosity is willing to give are people that are, 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 are the kind of people that I want to hang out with. Generous people have more fulfilling relationships and thus they become more content. Sixth and last is that generous people have less desire for more. Here's the point. Listen to what it says. You wouldn't be giving if you didn't think you already have enough. Does that make sense? You hear what I just said? That's why I say generous people have less desire for more. Why? Because they realize they already have enough. God's already blessed me enough. For me, it's been enough. So like the woman, she said, I don't need a big house. I don't need a a fancy car. I don't need all that stuff. I have been blessed with enough already. And that's why I feel like I can give more. I don't have the desire for more. 
Because the problem is in our culture today, all that media does is keep feeding that greed and that pride within our own self to say more, more, more. I got to have my rights. I got to have my stuff. I got to have my, you know, all this, these things that are coming at us day in and day out. But see, generous people have less desire for more because they really realize I already got enough. It's okay. They're more content. Bottom line is generosity leads to contentment. Here's number five in this particular passage that I think helps us to learn to be content. It says, contentment is learned when we realize that God supplies all our needs. Now, let's look at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason why I read the entire passage, because I want you to catch the context of this particular verse, because we quote this a lot. But I want you to see it in context because why did Paul, why was he so confident in telling these people, the Philippians, that it was going to be, they were, they were going to have all of their needs met according to Christ's riches and glory? It's because they were generous. It's because they were the ones that really took care of Paul. They were the ones that really cared enough to build the kingdom. They were the ones that example, exemplified generosity. And I think we need to be careful not to just unilaterally claim that promise, but I think it is a definite principle. And I want you to pick that up this morning, that God will supply all of your needs, and you can claim that for yourself, because I'm generous with what God has given me. I just want you to pick that up in the context of this particular passage. Pastor Scott gave me this verse in between services, and I think it's appropriate to read in Psalms chapter 37, verse 25. He said, when I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. God supplies all of our needs, but he certainly, in the context of Paul being confident, is saying, the reason why I can say that to you, Philippians, because you're generous. You care about the kingdom. You care about what God's doing. And I think that I think it's important for us to see this principle carefully and weigh that out. The bottom line is, is that we need to realize that everything we have is a result of God's provision. And if we do live a generous life, he is going to take care of our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. Here's the sixth reason why we can learn contentment, and that is we learn contentment by understanding that Christ is the source of our strength in every circumstance. You've been hearing this for the past probably six Sundays, that it's about Jesus. It's, it's about Christ being the one. He's the object of our hope. He's the person that's going to get us through whatever circumstance it is. And Paul's just saying, listen, I have learned over my lifetime that the only way I can get through life with as difficult as it may be at times, is through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Paul wrote about it in Corinthians. It was brought up, I believe, last week by Pastor Scott that what Paul was struggling with this thorn in the flesh when he was kind of maybe whining a little bit and complaining to God, saying, God, take this thorn away from me. And then God comes back and he realizes, wait a minute, your grace is sufficient. When I am weak, you're strong. I'm okay, God. If I have to deal with this thorn in the flesh, I'll deal with it. It really, really brought home to me when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I heard a guy speak back in 1983, I was teaching in a Christian school at that time, and 
a guy came to our chapel service and he had had his legs blown off in Vietnam and he was an inspirational speaker who was walking around the world sharing the gospel on his hands. I want you to see a picture of him this morning. His name is Bob Whelan. Bob was an amazing individual and he was telling me a story, telling us a story in that chapel service that day that stuck with me all these years. He was in Bangladesh and he was at that point in his wheelchair going down the streets of Bangladesh watching these little starving Indian kids picking pieces of garbage out of a garbage dump so that they could have something to eat. And as he was rolling his wheelchair down the street, a bunch of these kids got behind him and started pushing his wheelchair. And they were laughing and excited and full of joy. And Bob was thinking, what is with these kids? And then they started to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Bob was blown away. Here's a man who was rejoicing in his circumstances. And Jesus was sufficient for him. But for these kiddos, it was a powerful moment to realize that Jesus is enough. My question to you this morning, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough? You know, there's been moments I know in my own life where I was struggling really hard. And the reality of Jesus loving me kept me going and sustained me through a lot of stuff in my life. And I know that you can testify to that same thing. Can you sing that song this morning in reality? Do you realize how much Jesus loves you When we understand that, it brings a great deal of contentment in our lives, doesn't it? To know that there's somebody there for me no matter what. He loves me this. Do you really know? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this series on hope dealers. Thank you for putting it on Scott's heart. God, I know that um, you love everybody that's sitting here more than I do or anybody else does. And even in those moments when we're all alone, remind us of those children walking down the streets of Bangladesh singing, Jesus loves me. Because Jesus loves every person that's sitting here in this room this morning. I trust God that everybody in this room knows that in their heart of hearts, that you love them so much that you even died an incredibly horrible death to take the punishment for what we deserved. And it was only because you loved us and by your grace that you did that. So I pray this morning as we take just a moment to reflect. Jamie's going to sing. I encourage you, if you really believe that this morning, that you'd sing along with Jamie this morning. Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
Little ones to Him belong They are weak, but He is strong Yes, Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me The Bible tells me so Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.